you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, I only made this mistake one time, I think, in the past 11 plus years of music ministry. I did not schedule any Christmas carols or songs the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I didn't think anything about it at the time, but after the service that Sunday morning, I certainly heard about it. (laughs) Thanksgiving is over, and now it's Christmas. Until December 26th, and sometimes even until the end of the month of December, it is Christmas. And we sing Christmas songs in church as soon as Thanksgiving is over, right? We have lit all of our Advent candles. We have gone through the season of Advent, of anticipation, of leading up and building up in the growing light into darkness. Christmas is here, you could say. There might be a lot of kids in here who would say Christmas is certainly not here yet because they still have presents that are wrapped underneath that tree at home. We constantly in the season of Christmas live in this tension of the already and the not yet. Thanksgiving is over, Christmas is here. But we still have 30 days or so until Christmas is here. And then after Christmas Day, Christmas is still here. We still have family gatherings the week after Christmas up until New Year's. We're celebrating. We leave our decorations up. The already and the not yet tension of the season is familiar to all of us. And we see that same already and not yet tension here in this passage in the book of Malachi. And when we think about what Christmas means and what Advent means as we celebrate the coming of the Lord, but then we're also still waiting for the coming of the Lord. He came once. He's coming again. His work is completed, but it's not yet completed in another sense. And so we live in this tension. Scripture lives in this tension of the already and the not yet. And so what I want us to see here tonight is that we can rest in the already that Christmas promises while we anticipate and make ourselves ready for the not yet that is coming 
when Jesus comes back again. And so there are four things in this passage that I want us to know and understand and believe this Christmas. The first one is that God's judgment is necessary. Judgment's not a very popular topic, especially at this, one of the most well-attended services probably of the year, and there are probably a lot of you who are here visiting with us, and so I am just poking all of the bears and doing all of the taboo things. Judgment is not a very popular topic. Some of us might have even said before, don't judge me, might have even said, my God isn't a God who would judge people. If you've ever believed that or said that, I've got news for you. If your God is a God who doesn't judge people, your God doesn't exist. The God of the Bible is a God of judgment. We have to understand that if we're going to understand the gospel. If there is to be good news, we have to face the reality of the bad news. God's judgment is necessary for two things. It's necessary for the judgment of the sin of the world. That's what the people in this passage, the people, the audience of who Malachi was addressing, they were concerned about this. They were concerned about the evil of the other pagan cultures around them, the evil that they saw in the world, the injustice they saw in the world. They were concerned about that. They were concerned about God coming to judge that evil. They were so concerned about it, they had actually given up on God as the good God and the just God who would vindicate that evil, and they had even started to, to ask, where is this God of justice? They questioned his existence. They said, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. He must not be the God that we thought he was. And for those questions and those accusations against the Lord, the prophet says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. We're not wrong to recognize that there is evil in the world around us. We should be grieved by it. A lot of times Christians at this time of year were grieved by the growing secularization of our culture. We're grieved that the political correctness is constantly edging out Christian influences and Christian symbols and Christian words even, and sometimes even Christian thoughts and beliefs. They want to edge us out of the mainstream. We're not wrong to grieve those things. We're not wrong to grieve that our culture is slowly becoming less and less godly and less and less Christian, but we would be wrong to blame God for that. We would be wrong to fault God for waiting too long to deal with it. God is not unaware. He's not unconcerned about the wickedness of the world. But the wickedness of the world is one thing, God's judgment is necessary for the judgment of our own wickedness. The problem with Malachi's audience is not that they're concerned about the wickedness of the world, it's that they're accusing God of either approving of that wickedness or not caring about it, but they're missing the forest for the trees because the bigger issue is that they are the ones who are really unaware. They are the ones who are really unconcerned about their own sin. Scripture tells us, let the judgment begin in the household of God. We have to be more concerned and more grieved about our own offense against the holy and righteous God before we start questioning God's dealing with the wickedness we see around us. God's judgment is necessary for the world's sin, but also for our sin, and we focus on that first, and we recognize our need for God's forgiveness first. 
The second thing I want us to remember this Christmas is that God's arrival is imminent. His arrival is imminent. It says that God is wearied by the words of the people. We know that God can't grow weary in the same way that we do. But the Bible is clear about the fact that God's patience has a limit and that he will not withhold his justice forever. Isaiah 43, 24 says, You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Isaiah 55 says that we should seek the Lord while he may be found. His arrival is imminent, which means that his judgment is imminent and that we should seek him while there's still time, before he comes again, before the clock runs out, that his final judgment is going to be exacted upon the creation and the world will be remade and the redeemed will be taken with him and the tares will be cast into the fire. This is a reality of Scripture. It's a reality of what God does, what he will do in upholding his own righteousness and his own justice. His arrival is imminent because we see the word suddenly in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The word suddenly in this passage means that he's coming at an unexpected time in an unexpected way. This is where we see a great parallel between the Christmas story and the second coming. Just as at his birth, it was unexpected, it was humble, it was not triumphant. And so will be the second coming in an unexpected time, in an unexpected way. Matthew 24 reminds us, no one knows, not even the angels or the Son, but the Father only when he will call upon the Son to return. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We have to remember that God's arrival is imminent so that we are ready. We have to make ourselves ready. He has called upon us. We recognize his holiness. He's sent his son, the light of the world, to be the salvation of the world. We have the gospel. We know the gospel. We have the revelation of God. It's up to us to respond to it. He has revealed himself, and we should respond to that revelation of himself. The third thing that we see is God's purpose is purification. His purpose is purification. God will come to deal with sin and it will be unexpected, but how is he going to deal with that sin? How will he deal with the sin? When we look at scripture, it's clear that we only have two options. There's only two choices for how God will deal with our sin, either through punishment or through purification. We can face the punishment for our sin or we can be purified from our sin. And in Christ, we see the perfect example of that purification and that punishment. The incarnation of Christ, when he emptied himself of his godliness to become a human being, is the ultimate example of self-denial. One of the ways that God purifies us is by calling us to self-denial. Philippians chapter 2 says, Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. God is calling us to face the purification from our sins, first of all, through self-denial. But he also tells us that we might face unjust affliction. A lot of difficulties we go through in life that are the result of our own choices, the result of our own sin. We face the consequences of our sin. We face the consequences of our choices. But then we all know there's other times that we deal with affliction, we deal with suffering that we consider to be unjust or unearned by our own actions. Christ's death is the ultimate example of unjust affliction, the only human being who's ever lived without sin. And 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. God's judgment is necessary for sin. His arrival is imminent. He is coming soon. His purpose is to purify from sin. And finally, I want us to see that his ways are successful. His ways are successful. He says, I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me. But then the next verse leaves us with the promise. For I, the Lord, do not change, and therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Lest we focus so much on this coming judgment and God's purposes of purification and punishment of sin that we forget that God is righteous and good and that his ways are good. But it also tells us that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. A lot of times it's easy for us to lose sight of that as we look to make sense of the ways and the means that God has shown us and taken us through in our lives, and we say, I would not have done it that way. I would not have walked through that trial. I would not have lost that person. But God keeps his promises, and he accomplishes his purposes. Evil will be punished. Justice will be done. Those who trust in Christ will be purified and sanctified completely. There is a purpose in suffering. Sharing with Christ in his sufferings means that just as there was eternal purpose in his sufferings, so there is eternal purpose in our suffering. His ways lead us through pain, but to infinite joy. We also have to recognize that that work of judgment and purification is not completed yet. It was already finished. Jesus went to the cross, was buried, was raised on the third day, and now is seated at the right hand of God, seated because his work is finished. But the work of judgment in the world, the work of purification in our lives as believers in Christ is not complete. It's not completed us. It's not complete in the world. He is shaping us into his likeness 
through this purification, and we hope and trust that he will come again to deal with sin and evil once and for all and to make all things new again. Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. And so tonight on Christmas Eve, during this Christmas season, if you believe in Christ, repent of your sin, your judgment rests on him at the cross. If you don't, the judgment for your sin remains on you. Life with him isn't easy. We will still have to endure the painful process of purification, but it is preparing us for eternity. As Romans 8 says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And 2 Corinthians 4 says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is our assurance and our hope during Christmas, and we thank the Lord for his goodness to us.